0: Welcome to Women Who Sarcast. I'm Kathy Barron. My guests today are the hosts of I Don't Know Her podcast. Please give a warm, sarcastic welcome to Amanda and Rita. Woo-woo! This hey, is this is <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> and, and, you know, I just want to say that I've listened to a couple of your podcast episodes and they're just very pleasant and easy to listen to and you guys make me laugh and you know I just love the connection and the rapport that you both have and it's just very easy going a lot of podcasts that I've listened to are just very like choppy and mm-hmm. very awkward and I mean you guys just flow and I just want to let you know that I appreciate that because that's not very common in the podcast world
1: didn't start that way. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Uh, I listened okay. to your first episode and it, it sounded like you guys were, you know, old pros already on the first episode.
2: Well, thank you. <laughs> I feel like that's <laughs> the best compliment we've ever gotten. <laughs>
1: yeah. That that uh our first first recording, uh the very first one, we didn't even finish because it was just like the plane was going down. It was rough.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We lost the plot for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
0: in regards to your first episode, uh, you were saying that this is our first time just trying out a podcast idea. So mm-hmm. how did that idea emerge? And how is it panning out for you so far?
2: Uh, so I had wanted to do a podcast and I had been like collecting a journal of ideas. And I was like, basically, I had this like moment where I was like, Oh, I want to talk about women in history that we've not heard of that we should have like they've done incredible important things that we've heard of their male counterparts but not of their female counterparts and but I also am a fan of relaxed podcasts where you learn something or you hear something useful and worthwhile but also get to know the hosts and so I when I was thinking about who I might want to do a show with i was like oh obviously it's rita <laughs> like we have really good rapport mm-hmm. it's gonna be great
0: <laughs> and have you guys known each other for a long time i think we figured
1: um,
2: out like five years
1: yeah yeah I, I think we met in like 20 i don't know 2014 2013 around that time
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so how is it going for you guys since you've been doing it for a couple of years right how
1: has it evolved well, definitely, I would say we, we do have a rhythm now with how we set up, how we go about editing. Um, you know, the technical side is is a little bit more streamlined now. And definitely, um, when we first started and, you know, Amanda approached me with this idea, you know, I've never done anything like this. Um, so I felt like I was maybe not quite being completely myself. And now today, like as we're doing it, I feel more relaxed and mm-hmm. more yeah just being real and not trying to be you know something that I'm not
2: yeah I would say that for, for certainly like the the rapport has gotten easier. I also think that our um storytelling techniques are much better. I was talking about this not that long ago that I think that when we first started a lot of what we talked about was like a recitation of facts mm-hmm. and now yes. we're better at telling a story of someone's life and impact
0: and adding your own mhm.
2: Oh, yeah. And
1: how we can identify with, you know, their journey as well. You know, comparing it to like maybe things that we've gone through together or individually.
0: And you have a kick
2: ass intro music. (laughs) We do. So we both loved like that sort of uh, girl rock that came out in the 90s. It was like feminist and in your face and of course, no one did that better than L7. And we approached Jennifer Finch, and she was the one who wrote the, the song that we use, which is called Shirley. And we said, can we use it? Is that okay with you? And she was like, fuck yeah. And
0: I was like, oh, well, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome that she even she contacted was, uh, you. Out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I thought for sure that one, she would just never respond. Right. And two, her response would be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so... So she was very enthusiastic surprised. about it. Yeah. In fact, she left us a voice message. So I have a recording of it. So I think we're going to release that as some bonus material at some point.
0: That is so cool.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Amanda had me about it
1: and they were like, Jennifer Finch just called. And I was like, the fuck?
2: What? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's a moment in time. I definitely want to hold on to. Mm hmm. And in your first episode, you talk about the race car driver, Shirley Muldoney, which is the, the music, the show music is part of her story, right? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you mentioned that Shirley raced in Schenectady. So I'm from that area. <laughs> like oh, I wow. grew up north. My, my grandmother lived in Schenectady and I lived in Ticonderoga, which is like a few a couple hours north. And we used as kids, we used to say "skin neck titty," you know, "skin neck titty." (laughs) So my siblings and I would like my older sister, who's like four years older than I am, we would like pinch each other and like pinch each other's titties with the whole. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny that I remembered that as I was listening to your podcast. (laughs)
2: I was just really proud I said Schenectady correctly. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that.
2: There's sometimes where
1: we come across words where we just try to roll right past it. Right. Because...
2: See it really fast. <laughs> yeah. I... There's one episode in particular when I was talking about a place in France that I now understand is pronounced Lyon, but I said <laughs> lion the entire time. <laughs> and uh people let us know so right i'm sure they did yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. especially the french people yeah i don't i don't speak french i'm very clear with that i just don't i don't i like i have if any background it's in spanish and i just didn't know that it was (laughs) beyond i think the
1: hardest one i struggle with is things that are um if my person is from germany Mm. like looking up all the pronunciation of those words because we try very hard to get things right you know we 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 really take an effort to get get things right but sometimes we're like we don't know yeah (laughs) if we're wrong never mind we're not
0: gonna talk about that person we'll skip that person if I can't pronounce anything and speaking of which what what is your process for choosing the women that you talk about
2: I think that's something that's evolved over time as well. When we first started, I I used to just like look around or watch a show or whatever and I'll, you know, there's a kid skateboarding down the street, I'd be like, "Oh, I wonder who the first woman who became a professional skater was." And then mm-hmm. I'd Google it and find it and do that. Uh but now my I, I have a list of like 130 women <laughs> and other people. Uh-oh, who are Rita. Not women. <laughs> You're in trouble. And so, now I have like I have a spreadsheet <laughs> with their names, uh, when they were like alive, what their what their primary sort of objective was as a person, activist, athlete, so on and so forth, whether or not I think it's gonna be a mini episode or a full episode, and then also whether that person is a person of color or LGBTQ plus. <laughs> so now my process is like real nerdy
1: (laughs) (laughs) mine's a little bit more footloose and fancy free amanda definitely is very organized and i admire it but i'm over here with like scraps of paper and i'm like oh yeah there was that person that i'm gonna look um i save a lot on my phone
2: Mm -hmm. so if
1: i'm just kind of going through stuff I'll see something that I find a person that I find interesting and I'll screenshot it and I'll save it. And then later I'll go write it down. And I just have a list of names and what that person was um, known for or what their accomplishment was. It's kind of interesting. Like I'll kind of go with like what I'm feeling at the moment because some people are very intense and it's, it's a little much mm-hmm. for the time. So I'll go a little bit lighter or I'll go with maybe somebody who was an athlete. But sometimes we always come with a person that when we were doing two people per episode, we would be like on the same wavelength. We would mm-hmm. bring like sometimes people that crossed each other, like in their lives,
2: even. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Or they had like similar life experiences. It was very weird. It was like we had a psychic connection.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Or both be inventors or.
2: <laughs> yeah that's something that has also evolved is that we decided this season which is our third to do just one person per episode Mm -hmm. partially because uh time like doing two people often meant that we would go really quickly sometimes like especially if i went first and i took 40 minutes to tell my person's story then rita would feel obligated to go like 20 minutes so she'd be on the fly editing out stuff she doesn't want, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, this probably doesn't matter. And then and then we like, it, it just felt rushed. And I also decided that I wanted to get more in depth in the way I was telling stories. I wanted to go beyond like, beyond what the person who could just look at Wikipedia and get the same gist. I wanted to go well beyond that and tell details that would not necessarily be accessible to the general public. Which means that I've been reading like, Two to three books per person, like about <laughs> biographies about them, and pulling out details that I think are interesting, yeah, and really show a lot about that person's character. And so our episodes are just as long, if not longer, but we're only talking about one person this season, and I've really enjoyed that also because then it gives me a week off in between. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's been that's been honestly the biggest thing because it takes a lot of time for
1: mm-hmm. our podcast. on On average, it's usually about I was doing like maybe about 10 hours of research per person. Wow. And since I've gotten a little bit quicker, it's now about seven or eight, but that's still seven or eight hours,
2: you know, out of my week. And then two hours of recording. And
0: (laughs) yeah, it's a lot of work. And I was just going to ask if you knew what you know now before you, before you started the podcast, would you have still done the podcast?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I would for sure. I get, I get a lot out of it personally and like intellectually. I think it's, I think it's an important show. And I know that there are some folks out there that are doing similar shows to what we do. Uh, But I think that we have a unique way of talking about our lives, our personal lives and how that kind of intermingles with the lives of the people we end up discussing. Mm -hmm. And so there's this personal element that I think is, is what makes our show special
1: yeah and also having a unique point of view like when we first started this you know we're, we're both queer you know I'm a person of color so we have a definite view on things that not a lot of people have mm-hmm. yeah especially marginalized
0: yeah have you ever thought about having guests on your show
2: Yeah, that was actually our plan for the 2020 (laughs) year. And then the pandemic happened. Mm. (laughs) So, uh, you know, a lot of the people that we wanted to have on were people who were not podcasters. So don't have mics, don't have setups and stuff at home. And so we just tabled that for the future. And so we're hoping that maybe um, the next season we'll be able to do that because there are some there are some specific people I want to talk about on the show, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel comfortable telling that person's story. I don't think it would be appropriate. Like for instance, you may not have heard of Billy Tipton. I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Billy Tipton is from here, Spokane. Mm -hmm. And I would like to have a trans man talk about Billy Tipton because I don't feel that's a place that either reader or I should go Mm -hmm. as far as telling his story. And so that is one person in particular that I want to have a guest come speak about. There was also, we had, like we had a thing kind of getting in the works to be talked about a local native woman who had made really big impacts and has like a whole tie to one of our local universities. And Mm -hmm. so there was an indigenous woman from the university who was going to come on and talk about that person. But again, There was personal stuff and then the pandemic and that just wasn't able to happen. But we do have that plan that eventually we would like to have people who represent identities that we do not represent come on and talk about people that they're interested in.
0: That's great. I can't wait for that to happen. Amanda, I wanted to talk about one of the episodes that you mentioned. Well, this is still the first episode where they mentioned being a lifelong feminist. Mm -hmm. And you're the good kind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not, not a TERF. Not a TERF. And I have never heard of TERF. I think I've heard of it once like a couple years ago. But I want, I'd like to know what is a TERF and what's their, how did they come about? What's their story?
2: So the actual acronym TERF is a trans exclusionary radical feminist. And it is currently probably most well known for uh, whole group of so-called feminists in the UK who are actively working to keep trans women out of women's spaces, quote-unquote women's spaces. They've been around for a while, uh, but they're very much uh, believe that the, that the idea of trans women just doesn't exist. Or uh, it kind of has like a degrees, like there are the, the quote-unquote feminists who think that trans women aren't women at all, Yeah, Um, And then all the way to like, oh, I believe they're women, but they haven't had real, quote unquote, real women's experiences like menstruation. Mm. And I have a serious problem with that because first off, not every cis woman menstruates. Mm -hmm. Secondly, not every cis woman has children. So like the things that they use that are, quote unquote, for real women are often based on your physical body. Mm hmm. And to me, that's the antithesis of feminism in general. I am not the kind of person who wants to be boiled down to my parts. Mm-hmm. I am a whole, a whole being with a whole world of experiences. And I don't think that the fact that I have a vulva or a uterus is what defines me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want my feminism to define me or anyone else by those terms. Yeah. So that's what a turf is and why I'm not one of them. right
0: and I was kind of equating it to when um I'm much older than you are by the way um is this similar in the gay community lesbian gay community and this isn't identical because with the turf it's more about the physical part but with this particular one it was more about sexuality where lesbians weren't accepting of bisexuals and they wouldn't Mm -hmm. allow them in the community they wouldn't accept them.
2: I think that they kind of stem from the same place, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. this obsession that like the whole reason we don't like people outside of our community telling us what we can and cannot do. Why would we do that to ourselves? Right. And we're still we're still equating people's genitals with their identity. Right. And that's just to me, it's like, why, you know, go take go take that exclusionary shit somewhere else because I ain't got time Mm -hmm. for it.
1: And I I was similar to you um Kathy I I didn't know what a turf was either. I think I it was on that episode where Amanda like informed me of what that was. And I was I was shocked. I was like, "Seriously?"
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did, what's your feeling about labels as far as you know, I remember Time magazine had two lesbians on the cover and it, it was kind of like trend, it was trendy to be lesbian, you know, that kind of shit does, it bugs me, and, you know, I think we've grown up in different, uh, obviously different generations of, you know, the gay community, and it's been, you know, it's different, I grew up in the 80s, when, you know, I'd go to San Francisco to the gay pride, and it would be all about the AIDS, you know, the AIDS going on, every float had something to do with AIDS, so that's kind of what I grew up with. And I I know that Amanda was born in 83, right? Because you said that <laughs> yeah. in one of your episodes. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> see, in 83, I think I was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> um, so I know that we've grown up in different eras. Um, mm-hmm. But what is your take on the labeling yourself a certain whatever.
1: Well, I I feel like I label myself as, you know, a bisexual because I I feel like that's how I identify with my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, But just recently, you know, with Amanda letting me know that they're non-binary and totally discovering with them that gender and identity and the physicality of people, it's like no longer all in a nice, neat little box anymore there is such a different spectrum out there it really opened up my eyes
0: yeah yeah I don't like being put into a box to begin with
1: yeah Yeah. and it's like and I feel like I put myself in a box
0: (laughs) yeah I just think it's very limiting and you know I think that's why I have such a hard time with you know someone saying I'm a certain this and that's fine for them but I almost feel like it's like why put yourself in a box because there's so much more than than what that box is, in my opinion.
2: Well, labels also serve a purpose for uniting a community of people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about the varieties of gender identities until I would say the last like five years. Mm -hmm. And once I started to learn more about that, I started to see more of myself in those ideas and identities. And that is what prompted me to sort of have this awakening that was like, Oh, my God, that's, that's more of who I am than what I thought. Right. And for me, it was, it was about being able to identify myself properly um, and also to find other people who were similar to, to me. And so I think that labels serve a purpose for the people within those labels. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly care for people labeling me, themselves like outside of me like that's not your job that's my job to do Mm -hmm. and if I've told you a label then that's an okay label to call me but if it isn't then you don't get to do that so I think it's it's one of those things where you have to be really careful about you know what we think about people based on our our preconceived ideas and biases Mm
0: -hmm. right yeah I think if someone like you discovered part of yourself if that's how you relate and that's Generally, who you are, I'd say that's awesome. I just feel like society just puts people in these categories that aren't true or mm-hmm. not accurate. And then it's, you know, I and mean, that's what most people see is what the media yeah. or what, you know, society throws at them.
1: I think society too m- likes to label things because it's safe. Mm-hmm. And you it's know. it makes
2: things simple. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You,
1: you are that, you are that. I'm going to stick you in this category. And, you know, I got y'all figured out kind of thing.
2: Right. I'm working with a student right now who is biracial. And I had approached her because she's a really big reader. And I thought maybe she'd like to try writing. And there's a local Black newspaper that's always looking for more young voices. And I thought, well, maybe she'd be interested in that. And so I approached her. And first off, she was like, nobody's ever asked me to do anything like that. I think I actually do want to do it. But secondly, through our conversations, I started to learn that she's like a real big farm girl. She shows animals at the fairs and county fairs and stuff, goes to rodeos, she rides horses, She does all this stuff. And I said, do you ever have people who are surprised that that's who you are? And she was like, every day. Hmm. Because (laughs) everybody has an assumption of what what a teen Black girl is like. right? And so that's what she's going to write about is that like, You know, people make assumptions about her based on what she looks like or her identity. And that has to do with this fact that we are a little bit obsessed with labeling people because we want to, I think it does come, I'm trying to be better about empathy. I I think it often comes from a place of good faith. Like I'm trying to understand you, but I think that there's this uh, problem that happens when we, when we have such simple ideas and that's that then people don't get to be complex Mm-hmm. And people are, every person is complex. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a lot of room in our boxes for complexity and grayness, or the idea that someone might straddle three boxes at once. <laughs> you know, right, yeah. we just don't have that language or that complexity when we have our labels.
0: And I think people want to understand, but it's almost like their understanding has limits. It's like, it's like, Definitely. just tell me that, you know, just tell me what I want to hear and then we'll get, you know, we're good. Yeah. So I think that's another thing that needs to be stretched.
1: I did. We had a conversation one time on the show about an experience I had uh, with a co- with a couple coworkers where one, um, he was, he was queer and I had a female coworker and she, we were, kind of side by side and she said well he says he's queer like what does that even mean and I was like well I can tell you I said because I'm queer and she like looked at me and she goes but you're married Mm -hmm. I was like that doesn't (laughs) like so limit so limited
0: yeah yeah and if they're open to understanding then that's a great way to have a conversation and but I think people's delivery is definitely off a lot of times as far as (laughs) them wanting to learn (laughs)
1: Yeah. And she she laughed about it and I was like, is it funny? Am I am I funny to you? <laughs> like turning right. to Joe Pesci, like, Am I ha funny or what? Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so what does feminism or being a feminist mean?
1: Oh, that's a loaded question.
0: To you personally, I guess.
1: Inclusion,
2: hundred percent. I think that feminism is about uh bringing equity, equality, and justice for all. Mm-hmm. And that you can't you can't call yourself a feminist if you're also not anti-racist or working towards your anti-racist ideas and ideologies mm-hmm. because they're they're interchangeable and they're intersecting at all times. One marginalized mm-hmm. identity always has something in common with another marginalized identity, and oftentimes overlaps. And we have to work better. I think uh, white people, especially, have to work better at understanding um, that we have to work towards that equity and justice. Um, that's our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only feminist is action as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you
1: can wear the, you can wear the button, you can wear the t-shirt and you can go to that one March, but like, what are you doing? What are you actively doing, especially in your community, the people around you that you live with day to day? What are you doing actively?
2: Yes.
0: All right. So Rita, you mentioned that the goal of the podcast for you was for you to step out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. How has the podcast changed you over the couple of years you've been doing it?
1: Uh, well, definitely, um, I'm way closer to Amanda than I was five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely feel like they are family now to me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than just a friend. I feel like I've discovered a lot about myself because through the through the podcast, I've been very open with struggles that I've had um, with my mental health. I had, you know, a very bad uh, mental breakdown probably about three years ago, mm. um, which I was open with on the podcast. I've struggled with um, addiction. I've struggled with self harm, mm-hmm. um, eating disorder, and so just like being able to put that out there has been very therapeutic. And I've had people message me on the side that said, I've gone through something similar. And it's really good to know that I'm not, you know, what people call crazy.
0: That's amazing. And how has that been for you to hear from people that you don't even know, but that are listening to the podcast?
1: You know, it, it feels good to be able to um, sh- show people that it's okay. You know, it's okay to be messy. It's a part of me, but it's not everything that I am. And also I do also share ways that I've been overcoming those issues and working towards, you know, being a better, um, a better person for myself. Right. It's definitely an outlet too, like being able to do the research and, um, still learning stuff. You know, I'm, I'm
2: 36 and still being able to like learn something every day is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I'm at a whole new graduate school program.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I think as a podcaster, it's like you have this curiosity that doesn't ever go away. And I think that's what's awesome about the podcast community is that we are curious beings and um, I applaud you for for doing that.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think, you know, if I had never taken this opportunity, I think things would be different now because I do have – a goal, you know, each week to bring something to the table, mm-hmm. you know. It it makes you feel good to be able to also bring this person that people don't know about to the forefront and share their story. And we've found some really fascinating people. Yeah. I yeah. bet. People
2: that like I think one of the things that's ha- happened for me is that because we keep talking about these people who like I think I've overcome some shit I ain't done anything compared to a lot of the people we end up talking about. And that can be very inspirational to me. In fact, one of the most recent ones I talked about was this woman who uh, was denied the degree she earned and she just kept pushing and pushing. And at the age of 43, started a brand new career. Mm. I mean, just that's, I can't even fathom that right now. Like how you would, how you would have the strength and tenacity to keep pushing a system that wants to keep you quiet. hmm
0: mm-hmm. So what's your
2: favorite episode of your podcast? Ooh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> uh, I would say in my top in my top five is definitely the episode we did on or that well, my person was Frances Perkins. She is the first woman to have served in a presidential cabinet. And she was basically the architect of all of the New Deal programs that President Roosevelt got credit for, because he was the president. But um, she hasn't like she's not even in the history books. Like we learn about Social Security and and our healthcare programs that that were started then, and um, she wrote a lot of those those social programs that we continue to to uh, lean on and and use on a regular basis. Those were designed by a woman that Mm. we do not know the name of. And that's very frustrating to me, but also was like, I felt very passionate about getting her story out there and talking about it every time I get Mm. the chance to. (laughs) (laughs) I'd
1: I'd have to say my favorite favorite is of mine that I brought was uh, Madam CJ Walker. I'm still very enamored by her story. She was the first um, self-made millionaire black woman, uh, in the U S and you know, she took, I I very much love inventions. And uh, she invented a line of specialized uh, hair care products for black women to take care of, you know, their black hair. And she, she just hustled so hard and she made her own business and she worked super, super hard. She was able to build this, Franchise that still exists today. Like you can find her line at Sephora today. She was also, you know, she turned activist as well in her own community. So she was successful and she turned that money around and she was able to pr- provide programs for her own community as well. Mm-hmm. And I like stories of success where people turn it around and pay it forward too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like people who um, don't just stand on top of the ladder, but bring somebody up with them. And that was, I think, something I found really inspiring in Madam C. J. Walker's story was that she then turned around and put money into black women entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, she offered courses. She taught them how to, um, you know, talk about the product, be able to go and create their own businesses, mm-hmm. not just keeping it just for herself.
0: That's pretty amazing.
1: There's this really wonderful picture of her um, in her vehicle with like a group of women, and then they just have these fantastic hats with these big billowy feathers on there, and mm-hmm. they're they just look fucking badass, like just <laughs> it, and was just like I want to hang out with her. <laughs>
2: That was uh, the first time that story is the first time we had somebody from uh, one of our subjects, families contact us. And it was her, I believe, great granddaughter who wrote us an email and said, we listened to your show and we really liked we had to say about, you know, our relative. And we wanted you to know that her line is being re-upped in stores and tell your listeners and stuff, stuff like that. It was really cool.
0: Well, that's pretty amazing that you hear from relatives of people. I mean, that's pretty intense.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> that was my that was my first, um, I guess, a, a little bit of a wake up call because, you know, sometimes you're tired and you kind of half ass your research. But then when we got that email, I was like, you know, their family might be listening.
0: Yeah. You then know, you're like, just- oh, shit, <laughs> I better <laughs> I better know, I know my shit before I broadcast it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing yeah. Like a little pressure. Huh? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and like some a couple of the people we talk about, it's actually not very often. But some of our people we talk about are still alive, so they're like mm-hmm. they could be like tuning into their own story. And you don't want to fuck that up. Get hold
1: of us and be like, hey, you know what? That was wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you
0: know, Wikipedia, uh, not so much.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've learned to lean away from Wikipedia for facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, the internet can be a a dangerous thing sometimes. Totally. And speaking of, can we talk about Britney, bitch?
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: In one of your recent episodes, you talk about the New York Times documentary framing Britney Spears. And I watched it. And I know when the episode was recorded, Amanda, I wasn't sure if Rita... Had a chance i just
1: recently I, I watched it
0: okay it was difficult for me to watch at times because of how britney was being treated by the paparazzi or you know the interviews that she was giving and it was actually a bit disgusting to be honest mm-hmm. to witness how she was being treated and it's like no wonder she was acting the way she was i mean i would have gone ballistic if I yeah. was being treated that way about, you know, with the paparazzi and what they were saying to her. And mm-hmm. I mean, even the interviews, was it Diane Sawyer that interviewed her and just the questions she was asking. And it's like, you know, they were so degrading and like mm-hmm. sh- so shaming. It was disgusting, you know, just in Timberlake and the fact that there's even a podcast that is about Brittany is <laughs> it just kind of floored me that yeah. there's a podcast that actually just follows Brittany's Instagram yeah but what what's your take on the documentary what are your thoughts
1: uh my my biggest take from it was like you know, cause I, I grew up in that generation where she, she was becoming a star,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: I was in high school and it was, you know, played at the dances and everybody loved the music and wanted to, wanted to be her, you know, dress like her. But when she was having her downfall before we knew like what was really going on behind the scenes, like, I almost thought like, what was my part? Because when she was spiraling, I was just like, Oh, you know, she's, so rich and like what a crybaby, you know. Oh, you're gonna, you know, I, I was very judgmental. Mm-hmm. So I walked away with like, what did I, how did I feed into that? And how did I also dismiss, you know, someone in crisis?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the documentary. I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but appreciated like that, the, that like saying that when you have one finger pointed, Away from you, there are three pointing back. Oh like, God. there was a little bit of that going on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that there was so much media scrutiny of her, of her body, of her words, her choices, her everything. Like, she, you couldn't escape it. Yeah, she was under and a I microscope re- for sure. And yeah. I remember resenting her because of that. I resented mm-hmm. her, not the media. I didn't really have a concept as a teenager that. I was being forced to consume her because that was what they wanted me to consume. I just didn't conceptualize that. So as a teenager, I resented her being like in my face all the time. And I wanted her to just go away. I was like, you know, I, I hardly knew a person without an eating disorder at that time, mm. you know, because we all wanted to look like Brittany. We wanted to have abs like Britney. and mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's not everybody's body type. And also I don't dance 10 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) So I think that there was a lot being said in that documentary about how we consume people and especially women. And we like to chew them up and spit them back out. And then, Mm -hmm. and then marvel at how messed up they are. Right. Well, we fucking did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We all contributed to it in some way. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think that we're better about not doing that in some ways, but I, I would connect exactly what was happening in that documentary to what's happening right now to Meghan Markle. Mm-hmm. She's just being consumed, chewed up and spit out by, especially the media in the UK, like, oh my oh, God, yeah. mm-hmm. that is just abhorrent. And it upsets me to no end that what Brittany went through 15 years ago or 20 years ago, is exactly what Meghan Markle is experiencing now. And if we even tie it back to Princess Diana right, fucking 30 years ago or whatever that was, like we have not learned our lesson. We just keep repeating it. And that is to me what we need to really take a look at as an examine as a society mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why we do our show because a lot of times what happens on our show is we'll talk about some pop culture topic and then we'll start talking about this person who lived 100 years ago and lo and behold we can find all these random connections to what we're currently talking about
0: yeah and the conservative to me is just boggles my mind the oh, fact yeah. that yeah. Her father still has that much control over her, and she's, like, in her 30s, right? She just turned 30 yeah. or something? Oh, no,
2: she's, like, 35. Oh,
0: she's that? Okay. She's much older she's... than
2: I thought. Actually, I think she's older than me. So I think she's almost 40. So to even, <laughs>
0: I mean, to think that she can't control her life, basically, uh, yeah. is, to me, ridiculous. And I also saw on the news that the some senator was looking to bring the um cons- conservatorship how it you know the whole law into like back into legislation to kind of look at it
1: yeah to maybe she's definitely being taken advantage of yeah. i mean she's still making money for somebody you know for her father
0: right exactly like, and if
1: she's so if she's so broken down and you know can't even, you know, figure out what she's going to have for breakfast in the morning. Mm-hmm. How is she making millions of dollars successfully?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The point of a conservatorship is to help somebody who is in dire need of it. Mm-hmm. They are incapacitated in some way, whether it's physically or mentally. And that may have been true at the time of her breakdown. But I cannot fathom why that the conservatorship is allowed to continue. She's 39 years old. Mm hmm. Like she is not a child. She is not incapacitated mentally or physically, because if she were, then she wouldn't be able to still make money, right? Like she wouldn't be able to still, you know, do Vegas residencies and uh, release singles and shit that you're still having her do. Like, how is that? Those two things don't compute. There's a cognitive dissonance happening there that I do not understand.
0: Well, and the fact that her mental breakdown was probably because of how she was being treated. So that in itself is like, wait a minute. Let's go back to when this happened and what was happening to her, through the media, through all the shit she was going through. Her, and, her
1: relationship right. falling apart. Yeah, you no, know, that's. I couldn't imagine going through a a breakup, you know, with someone that you thought was your partner for life, but ha- doing it for the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. In front of everybody.
0: Yeah, you're definitely under a microscope and being analyzed and criticized 24 7
2: yeah she's she's been under been under more scrutiny than i think we could even fathom mm-hmm. that documentary just touched on it like mm-hmm. it was an hour long well the so- guy that
0: the paparazzi guy that was interviewed in it i just wanted to like hit him oh, through the screen great. it's like you yeah. are a douchebag just admit it yeah. you know you're in the wrong and it was just in you know aggravating to hear him basically not even yeah yeah not admit that he was at fault
2: and his actions and behavior as a paparazzo uh exactly typifies how we commodify women and women's bodies she doesn't get to be a a whole human being Mm -hmm. she is a body a personality like we get to we get to do whatever we want to her
0: and Diane yeah. Sawyer, you know, in the name of news and it's like that's bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. as a woman, she should know better to not put down other women and I think that's that's the problem that I have with the people, the women who say they're feminists. It's like <laughs> you, you don't you don't punch down people, you yeah. know. You don't trip them or Degrade them if you're a true feminist
2: yeah one yeah. of the actual questions that she asked Brittany was what do you say to people who think you're a bad mother yeah <laughs> i said fuck you yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and also fuck you to asking for asking me that question like yeah. why would you what does that have to do with anything
0: mm-hmm well, and the questions that they would ask a, a woman compared to a man is what gets Absolutely. me. It's like, would you ask a guy that? You know, why are you such yeah. a bad father?
2: Yeah. Is anybody asking, like, these, you know, powerhouse directors or whatever? And what do you say to folks who think you're a bad father? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: What, they're like, what, I have a kid? What are you talking about?
2: Yeah, wait, wait. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I have enjoyed talking with both of you, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I have nothing but admiration, and you're definitely an inspiration. And thank you so much for putting your heart and soul into your podcast because it definitely makes a difference. And I appreciate that.
2: Well, thank you. And thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: You can find Amanda and Rita and I don't know her podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and on social media at, is it, I don't know her or is it IDK her podcast IDK her podcast on social media. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to women who Sarcast, an independent podcast. We welcome and encourage your snarky comments. Contact us at Women at Yahoo.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Sarcast. Support us on Patreon and become part of our sarcastic community. Visit www.patreon.com/women who sarcast. Show music provided by Mike Mbassiani.